0: Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. We don't often talk about this probably enough, but uh, from time to time, it'd probably be good for us to bring you up to speed. Uh, How many are curious about what we're doing with our Dare You to Move and where we're going as far as our next move and stuff like that? We have uh, been—we've been currently working. uh, The board of elders, in fact, our last uh, pursuit has been where we currently are in our offices. We have the opportunity to buy half of that facility, and it's a smoking deal. Everybody on the Board of Elders said, wow, this is, this is God. It's kind of, uh, yeah, actually buy half of, half of it, and it's, it's such a smoking deal that it would actually uh, save us about $10,000 a month from what we are paying now, and we would actually purchase it ourselves. And so... Uh, That's what we're currently working on, just to keep you up to speed so you know what we're doing. We could build an auditorium over there of about, a seating capacity of about 460, 440, something like that, well over 400, plenty of space there. We're we're currently doing feasibility studies. As you well know, you need to do that before you put out a lot of money, and it does cost us money to do all that, but keep praying. Uh, That's where we're headed. If that falls through, we know that God has something else for us. And so just keep that in mind, Uh, some great opportunities there. We have to make sure, obviously, that there's plenty of parking. It seems that there are, and uh, so we just, we've been, people, oftentimes you don't realize how many details precede moving into a facility like that, and so uh, it hasn't, it's not that we have forgotten, we haven't, we've been working uh, crazy on this, and we haven't done a good enough job at communicating with you because we don't want to get your hopes up and then dash them and then up, and that's how we've been because of the different places we've looked at and then found out, oh, that's not going to work, and then we got our hopes built up over here, and then, oh, that's not going to work, and so God is in charge. He's leading us. He loves us. God's hand is working in this church. It is evident, and uh, I'm more convinced of that than ever before. So that's where we're headed. Praise God for His goodness to us. Thank you for your generosity. Those of you that give faithfully and regularly here, we couldn't do it without you. Those of you that continue to give over and above or have given to the Dare You to Move, it's, that's giving us the potential to be able to do this, uh, what we're doing now, and that's to look for a current facility. So that's where we're headed. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at verses four, uh, 17 through 24. This is our life. There's an app. ...for that teaching series, and we're going to talk about a new self. One of the greatest things about Christianity is that it gives you the resources for radical life transformation. Everyone has something that they want to change about themselves, unless, of course, they are deceiving themselves. As it says in 1 John 1.8, if you think that you are without sin... You deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. so if you come across like you 've got it all together, you don 't based on what the bible says okay you 're self deceived so in this passage we 're looking at this morning, we are able to see how this change comes about, and you 're going to find that the, the transformation in the kingdom of God that is in Christianity is quite different from transformation in other entities, other groups, other uh, organizations, other uh, belief systems. It's quite different. And so we're looking at how how do we change? How does change take place in our life? And there's three components of this change. You'll see on the outline, I've kind of laid out the three components. We're going to look at each of these three. The three components of life change are put off the old self, put on the new self, And then be renewed in the spirit of your thinking. Actually, they're not in... uh, They're actually in that order in the outline. But when you read them in verses 22 through 24, it's more like this. It's put off your old self. Be renewed in the spirit of your thinking. And then put on the new self. I I said... I I saved be renewed in the spirit of your thinking for the end. Because I think it's the most important. But they all kind of work simultaneously. As we think about transformation. So, uh, put off... Put on, think differently. So if if you're wanting transformation in your life, there's something in your life you're wanting to to deal with, you put off, you put on, and you've got to think differently about it. Just say that with me real quick. Uh, Let's say that together. Put off, put on, think differently. Can you remember that? Let's say it. One, two, three. Put off, put on, think differently. Now turn to the person next to you and say, put off, put on, think differently. Okay, real quick. So put off, put on, think differently. It's a, the it's a three components of life change. Now I'm going to have you do something else. Turn to the person next to you and see if they know the answer to this. When is a thief no longer a thief? When is a thief no longer a thief? Turn real quick and see if they know the answer to that. How many were thinking like this? When he stops stealing, when he stops stealing. Thieves no longer a thief? Okay, that's a good start. But it's actually more than that. You've put off, you stop stealing, but you've put on, you get a job. That's putting on, and then you think differently, you start giving. So a thief is no longer a thief when he puts off, puts on, and, and thinks differently. So a thief is no longer a thief when he, when he stops stealing, gets a job, and starts giving. In fact, what's interesting about these components of life change, next week we will look at... Uh, Five examples of that, uh, of life change. And one of those is is thievery, being a thief. And he actually talks about that. He talks about these three elements of life change. And and they're they're, they're true about you. So here's what I want you to think about. What are the, what hurts, habits, or hang-ups that you struggle with that you need to put off, put on, and think differently about? How many would say that you you could probably come up with a few hurts, habits, and hang-ups that you need to put off, put on, and think differently about. Show of hands. Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, you're still in denial. And uh, we're here to help to blow the cover on your denial. So if you hang out with us long enough, you'll, have, you'll be raising your hand just like the rest of us because you're living in First 1 John 1, 1.8. If you think that you have no sin, you deceive yourselves, and the truth is not in you everyone here has some kind of hurt habit or hang-up some kind of thing in your life otherwise you you would say hey i've got it pretty much all together i just show up to church just to i, can, I don't know i just show up to church i don't really need church because i've got it all together but but if you're saying that then you're, you're out of touch with reality everybody has a hurt habit hang-up for those of you that raised your hand and for those of you that didn't raise your hand that should have raised your hand Here's my word before we pray. Cheer up. You're more flawed than you think, and the world is more fallen than most admit, but God's grace is bigger than you could ever dream. So no matter what you're dealing with, whatever you're struggling with, God's grace is more than enough. So let's pray. Be thinking about that. What what is it that you struggle with? And uh, maybe I'll be able to expose that. My job is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable here. So I'm going to try to do that this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. We love you. We're amazed by your grace. Father God, you are our rescuer, our redeemer, our restorer, the restorer of broken lives, healer of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Those who have put... Their faith in your Son, Jesus, are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So this morning, teach us how to put off the old self, put on the new self, and be renewed in the spirit of our thinking so that we can experience more and more of the fullness of life. You came to give us by your grace, for your glory, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So let's take a look at this text. And we, we started into the second half of the book of uh, Ephesians. And the first half is about our wealth. It's who we are in Christ. And the second half, uh, chapters 4 to 6, are really about our walk. And that, that's how the Christian life is to be lived out. It's out of the fullness of who we are in Jesus Christ. When you have that sense of awe and wonder of who Jesus is and who you are in Him and how much He loves you and He's covered all the bases for you, total fulfillment, complete well-being, completely blessed with every spiritual blessing then it's out of that then we begin to be transformed we begin to look at our walk and say okay what needs to be corrected here what do i need to deal with here what hurt habit and hang up do i need to put off and then what do i need to put on in replacement of that how do i need to begin to think differently that's that's how change works. By the way, if you are struggling in an area, you've got this reoccurring issue in your life that keeps coming up and you can't get rid of, and you've become quite, uh, quite frustrated over, it's probably because you have only put off and you haven't put on and you're not thinking differently about it. You don't, you're not em- embracing the, those three components of life change. So let me read the text here, 17 through 24. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's talking about unbelievers. These are Gentile Christians, and he's talking about the Gentile unbelievers. And notice he describes how they walk. People that are alienated from God. Actually, he's going to say that. They walk in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He transitions here, verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ, what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner of Christ, a follower of Christ, a, one who is, who is captivated by the beauty and the glory of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's not how you learn Christ, to live that kind of life. And then in verse 21, he explains that a little more. He goes into more detail, assuming that you have heard about him. Of, of course, you've heard about him. If you're a Christian, you've heard about him and were taught in him. It's true discipleship. As the truth is in jesus you 're never more in touch with reality than when you are walking in fellowship and in intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ and then in verse twenty two he says, "To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires so you 've got these desires that are that are deceitful, they deceive you, you think you 're going to find fullness of life over here apart from god and it 's not going to happen." But so you put that off, we'll go into more detail about that in verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So put off your old self, put on your new self, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's where we're headed with this. So let's talk about put off your old self. What is that? We see it in verses 17 through 19. This is a decision to be a new person that happened at conversion continuing throughout your life. These words put off and put on, verses 22 and 24, are in the aorist tense. We don't have that in the English language. It's in the Greek And it's in the aorist tense, and it refers to a single finished past action. So when he's saying, put off, put on, Paul is reminding them that they have made a decision of who they want to be and how they want to live. And so he says, Don't live as unbelievers. You've made a decision to follow Jesus. You've encountered him. You've been captivated by him. You're patterning your life after him. So don't live like everybody in the world. Your life should be different. And so that was a decision. He's saying, you made that decision. It happened at conversion. It continues throughout your lifetime. Put off, put on, think differently about those issues in your life. Be renewed in the spirit of your thinking there's something more troubling than a Christian not becoming more like Christ year after year and that is no one being surprised by it. We should be shocked by people who claim to be Christians and they're not any different 10, 15, 20 years into this walk. That should shock us. So my question for you is when you look back over the 5 years, 10 years, 15 years of walking with Christ, is your life different? It should be. If you're not becoming more and more like Christ, in other words, if you don't have more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, are you more loving? Are you more joyful? Love, joy, peace? Do you have more peace in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience. Are you more patient? Are you more kind? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the natural byproduct of people who are walking in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he's saying, don't act like those folks. Don't be like those folks. Those people that are alienated from God. They're distant from me. You know the living God. That should transform your life. Here's the next point. Why? Because the life alienated from God is empty and enslaving. And so he kind of goes into that. Verse 17, he says that in the futility of their thinking, it just means empty. Their, their thinking is empty. And it's because, verse 18, they're alienated from the life of God. Verse 19, they've given themselves up. In other words, it's, there's this enslavement that's happened in their life. They're enslaved. A life alienated from God is empty and enslaving. I kind of summarized verses 17 and 19. You could go into more detail there and you can see there's a callousness. There's something about sin. The more we do it, the more calloused we become. And it drives us deeper into sin. What bothered us initially no longer bothers us. And in fact, it requires more of that same sin to satisfy, which it really ultimately never does satisfy. And so there's this... This drivenness, this enslavement, but also there's this emptiness. You're enslaved because you're empty. I want you to do something else. Turn to the person next to you real quick again and and ask them if they know the difference. What is the opposite of being empty and enslaved? Because if you're alienated from God, then to have communion with God would be the opposite of those two words. Empty and enslaved. What are the opposite words of those? Real quick, do that. So what are they? What's what's the opposite of being of being empty? Full. Yeah. Full satisfied. Being satisfied. What's the opposite of being enslaved? Okay, that's pretty easy. So, so you are alienated from God, so there's going to be an emptiness. There's going to be this discontentment, this perpetual discontentment. No matter what you pursue, it never quite satisfies. Yeah, for a season, that big house, man, that was great. That nice car, whoo, it was good. It started kind of rusting a little bit. We start taking over to California, you know, the 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 air over there, it's kind of salty and, you know, along the beach and but yeah, I, I need a new car or, you know, so it's there's that there's that satisfaction but it's fleeting and it requires another hit on whatever it is that you're pursuing but God when you walk in communion with him he is unbelievably fulfilling and freeing you will never be more fulfilled and free than when you are fully devoted to Jesus Christ Nothing will satisfy you more. So what he's talking about here, he's talking about what we all struggle with, even Christians struggle with, is idolatry. He's rooting out idolatry because idolatry is is a, being alienated from God. Why would we be alienated from God? What, what's the first of the uh, Ten Commandments? You shall have what? No other? No, did you notice it doesn't give us a third option? You, either, you, know, you should have no other gods. You're either going to serve God or you're going to have another God or you'll just be out there in limbo and not really having any God. It doesn't say that. You shall have no other gods before me. Other God or gods or whatever. In other words, you will either worship the living God or you will substitute him for another God. So to be alienated from God doesn't mean that you don't have a God. It just means that you have another God. And it's called idolatry. And idolatry inevitably brings emptiness and enslavement. Got a good book here. I would encourage you to read it. Read it a few times. Continue to go back to it. It's Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. This is how he defines idolatry. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you, what only God can give you. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. An idol is whatever you think or you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to decide that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best is worship. So it's, it's what we worship. It's, we're all worshipers by nature. God created us to worship Him, but if we don't worship Him, we will worship something else. And whatever we worship, worship, uh, the English word means worth. We, we, we give it worth. Whatever we give worth to shapes our life. Worth, shape, shape, Everyone here worships something. If you don't worship God, you will worship something, and that something will shape your life. It will control your life. Now, this is how I've been able to identify what I tend to substitute for God, my my counterfeit gods, and I've taught this. This is a bit of the DNA here at Desert Breezes. This is how I identify my own gods. I identified a couple more of my gods this last week. Not that I didn't know these gods, but they raise their ugly heads at me, and so I had to kind of work through some of those things. But this is how typically I look in my own life, and anytime I have uncontrollable emotions, inconsolable emotions is identifying for me that I have given my heart to something other than the living God, I'm trying to find my sense of well-being and contentment in anything other than God because it works like this. You want to get married? You're dating a guy? That's cool, but he leaves you at the altar. It's one thing to be sorrowful, grieve. You should grieve that. You should be sorry. You know, have a sense of sorrow. But if you are in despair... That is evidence that you have overly attached your heart to that marriage relationship. It's one thing to grieve, it's another thing to be in despair. See, it's, it's for instance, and what it typically is, is that we take good things, they can be good things, and we turn good things into ultimate things. It's one thing to have a good thing, and when you have a good thing, such as a marriage or a good job or, or the way your kids are turning out, you want them to turn out a certain way, Or you have good friendships or whatever. It's one thing to have those good things. And when those good things are being threatened, it's normal to have some anxiety. But if those good things have become ultimate things in your life, you're not just going to have anxiety. You're going to fall apart. You're going to have sleepless nights. It's going to get a grip on your life. You're going to be paranoid. Those are those uncontrollable emotions that are saying to you and I that we have overly attached our heart to those things. We're trying to find freedom or fullness, fulfillment in something other than God. And so those emotions are those kind of warning signs, those warning lights on the dashboard of our, our car, so to speak, our lives. It's one thing to have a good thing when it's blocked. Somebody gets the raise or gets the promotion that you didn't get, and it's because it's the boss's, you know, friend. And so it's one thing to be angry over that. And There's a righteous indignation. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But to become bitter when that that good thing has become an ultimate thing that you can't live without, you become bitter. It rules your life because you're we're shaping, you're, you put so much worth on that, it shapes your life, it controls your life. It's one thing to have a good thing, you want to get married. But somebody takes him from you or her from you and In fact, lost forever. Don't think you'll ever get married or maybe you'll never have kids or, or you'll never get that job that you've always wanted and it's lost forever. And if it's a good thing, you're going to be sorrowful. You're going to grieve it. You're going to move on. But if it's something that is a good thing that's become an ultimate thing, you're going to probably be suicidal. So that's where suicide comes from It's because it's a sense of hopelessness and despair. And of course, I'm talking about those emotions that are not... Uh, physiologically based to have medication to help correct some of those issues and things like that, and so uh, I had a friend that was uh, that got saved. He was on the fire department. His wife had left him. He was in despair. Came to the church that Nancy and I were attending at the time, and and uh, man, he was just devastated. He just wept. His wife left him. He's like, oh and, uh, and it, was, it was inordinate there was certainly inordinate despair going on there and he came to every Bible study got baptized man he was like a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and I thought wow this guy has really experienced conversion this is really cool and we just tried to encourage him in that and about three to six months into this fervent passion for Jesus what we thought some young babe came along and swept him off his feet next thing we knew he moved in with her and never saw him again I thought, wow, what the heck was that all about? What, what that was about was that his real God was, and, and he, was a, he was a tough, stout dude on the fire department, drove a sharp car, had a great house, had all those things. But his worship, the object of his worship was having a babe, having a girl make much of him. And once he, he was able to restore that, oh, don't need God anymore. And see, God, he just came to God as a means to an end. But once he got that, well, chucked the whole God thing. God wasn't an end. God wasn't the one that he found his deepest satisfaction in. God was a means to an end because once now he's got this. Oh, don't need God anymore. And so that's that, that idolatry in which it, what he will find eventually is that it will be empty and enslaving. And um, so uncontrollable and inconsolable emotions. By the way, if you, if you don't have those uncontrollable and emotions, inconsolable emotions. You're not following God and you don't have that. It's probably because you're addicted or you're medicating in some way. Because that's another way that we kind of cover up. In fact, it's kind of interesting. An addiction is a dependence upon a substance or a person or a behavior that provides a temporary sense of well-being. And it can be whatever I do too much. You sleep too much, you eat too much, you work out too much, you... You sit in front of the TV too much. Those are all ways of medicating because you know, you know, if you were to pause long enough, you know deep inside that there's an emptiness and there's this drivenness. And so you're, you're driven to try to cover that up rather than to go to Christ. You're driven. That drivenness takes a hold of your life. And so, uh, it's just, it's, it's whatever begins to, and this is how another way that I've been able to identify my own idols my counterfeit gods, is that whatever d- dominates my thoughts, stirs my deepest emotion, and whatever I effortlessly give my my time and attention to, my time and attention or my my time and money to effortlessly, it's kind of it just kind of it dominates our thoughts, and you could probably figure out which what are yours. But there's interesting, you know, workaholism, what is the, what is the person serving? They're, they're bowing down at the altar of probably money or performance. What about eating disorders, believing in anorexia? They're bowing down at the, the god of thinness. What about alcoholism, pornography? Probably bowing down at the altar of, of, uh, of pleasure. And it's probably in an effort. By the way, it's interesting that none of that really ultimately satisfies. You know that first buzz you get when you smoked your first pot or whatever or your first alcohol and then it requires more and more and then it drives it? That's that enslavement because what used to satisfy no longer satisfies because you're trying to fill a void that only God can fill. And that's what he's saying. Don't live like that. You didn't learn Jesus like that. Jesus satisfies us. And so, okay, so that's that. So what are we putting off? We're putting off idols. Rebecca Pippard put it this way, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. And so there's got to be a time in our life when we... As the prodigal, the younger prodigal's son, they're both prodigals, the elder brother left the father without leaving the farm. He was just as lost, probably more so lost. But the younger brother, we're talking about the story found in Luke 15, younger brother took the inheritance and went out and threw it away on on prostitutes and wild living. And where did he find himself living eventually? Pigpen, yeah. And this is what This is what he he comes to this conclusion. And so it's a conclusion that we, we all, I hope that all come to eventually in the pursuit of our false gods or counterfeit gods. He says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. And so what's happening is that we put off the old self, this old, this idolatry, this way of meeting deep needs within us. And then we put on the new self. This is putting on the new self is this. It is, it is not, here's your next point, next fill in the blank. It is not a self-absorbed concentration on what I must do, but a God-absorbed captivation on what he has done for me. So verses 20 through 21. But this is not the way you learned Christ, exclamation mark, assuming that you have learned about him. And we're taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. I mean, the first three chapters were all about Jesus. They're all about what He's done for us. 2 Peter, Peter 1.3 puts it this way. This is a great memory verse, by the way. Some of you probably have memorized it. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge, through personal intimate relationship with God, through the knowledge of Him who has called us, By His glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need total fulfillment, complete well being, everything you need. Never ever to be empty or enslaved again. Fulfillment, satisfaction, freedom. His divine power has given us everything, it's in Jesus. And it's not, like I said, a self-absorbed concentration on what I must do, but a God-absorbed captivation on what He has done. I've, I've often heard people say, Hey, so if I become a Christian, does that mean I have to stop sleeping around and you know, quit going out and partying and getting drunk? And you know maybe I need to stop ripping off supplies from where I work and all these things. It's like, wait, 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 wait. that's some wrong. You don't concentrate on those. I, I would hope that, yeah, certainly... There's a number of those things you're going to probably stop doing, but that's not your preoccupation. Those things are secondary to the primary of being captivated with the beauty and the glory of Christ. Because this is what you need to understand. The Christian life isn't a morally restrained will, but a supernaturally transformed heart smitten by the beauty and glory of who Jesus is and what he has done for us on the cross it's not an outside in kind of a change oh I better stop doing that and I better stop doing that wait 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 it's an inside out you are captivated by his beauty and glory and therefore your life begins to take on that which you are worshipping which would be the Lord Jesus Christ the Christian life is more than agreement with biblical truths in the head it is an encounter with the person and work of Jesus Christ in the heart. I'm convinced of this, and my job is to try to convince you of this each and every week. Jesus Christ is the most exciting reality in the universe. And if you are bored, it's because you either don't know him or you're not walking in vital union with him. Now, idols cannot be cannot be removed, only replaced. You will worship a God. You shall have no other gods before me. So if you don't worship God, you'll worship other other gods. So if you replace those gods, you're going to just replace your other gods with another God. But the best way to replace your gods is, is with the true and living God. And so what I do typically, and I struggled with some things this last week. I had some inordinate uh, anxiety and some anger that came up over some things that uh, hit me. <clears throat> And so what I had to do at those moments is that I recognized that I was trying to get my sense of well-being in this particular circumstance and what had happened. And in those moments, I began to look to Christ to meet the need that I was trying to have fulfilled through my idol. Idol, idol can be a good thing. It's just you've turned a good thing into an ultimate thing. And what I was struggling with, these were good things. There's nothing wrong with these things. It was just that I had turned them into an ultimate thing, that my sense of well-being was so fastened to these things. And so I began to say, hey, wait, 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 wait. I need to look to Jesus to give to me what I tend to be looking for in in this idol. That's how you begin to make those corrections. That's what you begin to put on. So you put off your idolatry. You recognize it through your uncontrollable, inconsolable emotions and then you begin to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You come to Him and allow Him to meet your needs. It is becoming practically, next fill in the blank, it's becoming practically what you already are positionally in Christ. Practically meaning uh, sanctification. He's, he's putting your life back together. It's called wholeness or holiness. So you become practically what you already are Positionally. Positionally is justification, so practically a sanctification, positionally is justification in Christ. Verse 24, he says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. So that word righteousness is, it means integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. So positionally in Christ, so what are you positionally in Christ? think about that real quick. What what are you positionally in Christ? Redeemed? How many would say that we're perfect? I'm perfect in Christ, positionally, right now. That's how God sees me. He looks at me, and I am perfect. Yeah, but you, you, you messed up, didn't you? Probably before you even got out of bed this morning, some of you messed up. You just thought thoughts that were probably wrong or bad, or maybe as soon as you hit the Hit the floor. We all mess up. But, but God doesn't see us in that sin positionally because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We are complete in Jesus. That's amazing. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no sin in the past, present, or future that he will ever hold against you. You stand before God completely righteous. By the way, no other belief system on this planet would say that. Everything else is a works righteousness. This is a faith righteousness. I put my faith in Jesus positionally. I stand before him completely righteous. I have access to the throne room of God 24-7. I have his affection upon my life 24-7. Nothing can ever separate me from his love. I mean, that's amazing. To the degree I embrace that and believe that is to the degree it begins to transform me. It begins to sanctify me and brings wholeness. You catching that? If I know that I have peace with God, you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. No, but I feel alienated. You're not through Jesus. You're not. You have peace. Enter into the throne room. Receive what you need. And then out of that, it will begin to transform your life and you'll begin to live life differently. See, that's, that's the point of, of that. This is, what we're, this is what we're beginning to... We put off our idols. And now we're putting on being captivated by the Lord Jesus Christ. So in God's eyes, so positionally in Christ, I'm perfect, I'm sinless in God's eyes, but practically I'm still sinful. So being precedes doing. It always does. Our biggest problems aren't the sins we've committed or the sins committed against us, but unbelief that God can forgive us and heal us completely. Our biggest issues aren't the fact that we're going to sin, that we continue to sin, and that, oh, has God got a friend? He's already forgiven you. He will continue to forgive you. He has. It is finished. The work is complete. You stand completely righteous before God. That's fascinating. And not only that, all the sins committed against you, he can heal those. He will bring wholeness to your life. So those aren't the issues. We make that the preoccupation. The issue is our unbelief in Him knowing and believing that He can do that and continuing to go to Him. Here's the next point. It is not a matter of trying harder but of training wisely. Watched a little bit of the Olympic uh, trials yesterday. It was a lot of fun today. They're going to have some more on. Got my DVR ready. It's recording it. In fact, at, at about noon today, there's a couple hours there so I get a chance to see some of the the Olympic stars that are uh, going to be heading to the Olympics in London, one of my favorite events, the Olympics. And so, if you were to go and talk with any of those Olympic uh, people, performers, they didn't just wake up and decide they're going to try out for the 100-yard, 100-meter uh, dash, you know, run. They have been training for decades. You're not going to all of a sudden be a person filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's going to take some not trying, harder, but training. Spiritual disciplines are a means of increasing our capacity to experience the presence of God and the fullness of life He graciously offers us. So in verse 24, he says, Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. We talked about that. But notice the next word, holiness. Piety is the word, is what that means. The the Greek word is literally piety and fidelity are the two Greek, are kind of the, the Greek understanding of holiness. Piety means respect towards God. Fidelity is faithfulness in observing the obligations of piety. So it sounds confusing, but it's just, it's talking about spiritual disciplines. You're going to begin to practice those things. You're going to do those things. You're going to come to church. You're going to read your Bible. You're going to pray. Why? Because you want to have an encounter with God that would so fill your heart up with who God is and what He wants to do, what He's done in your life, and who you are in Him, so that you have this emotional wealth, this emotional health, so that you can handle anything that you face through spiritual disciplines. So this is about having a robust spiritual walk. This is how we put on, so we put off idolatry, put on Christ, all of who Christ is, having a prayer life, and a Bible study, this robust spiritual walk, having a prayer life, Bible study, church involvement that is, that, that is filled with life, that fills you with life. Spiritual disciplines are about increasing your affection for Christ and a sense of his love on your heart that is strong enough to pull you away from the other things that have captured your heart. I can't live without that. It's because you don't know Jesus. Yeah, you can. There's only one thing that can rob you of the infinite and eternal joy that Christ gives to us, and that's idolatry. See, the trials that we, be, we are overwhelmed by, it's because of, of we've attached our heart to those things that are being threatened, blocked, or lost, and we're, that we're overwhelmed, rather than to come to Christ and find our deepest affection in Him and continue to build that up, and then we can face any trial even any temptation. Man, there were things early on in my Christian walk that would just attract me, allure me. Woo! And now I look look at them as if, that's ridiculous. How shallow, how stupid. Man, look what I have in him. There's an interesting uh, verse, Genesis 29, 20. And it says this. It's, It's really, I love this verse. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. He wanted to marry Rachel. Laban said, no, you're going to have to serve me for seven years. Check this out. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. when your heart is ravished by the beauty and the glory of Jesus you're swept off your feet all the trials all the temptations all the trauma in life i mean it's just it's dwarfed it's just small it's just like you're like that man i get him i have him i want him i desire him more than anything oh and if if these these Idols that are being threatened, blocked, and lost, if that brings me more to Him, praise God, praise God for the trauma, the difficulties, the trials in my life, because it makes me run that much harder after Him, and I have Him, what more do I need? see that 's the Christian life, so putting off the old, the idols, putting on affection for Christ, but here's the most important, and we 'll spend the least amount of time on ha. <laughs> Only because we'll talk more about it in the next couple of weeks. And this is what we do every week anyway. So, so be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I already pretty much talked about it. I've already t- tried working to help you to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. To stir up appetite within you for God. So 23 is what, where we get that. Where he said that. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Paul is not talking about thinking positive thoughts. The power of positive thinking, come on, think positive thoughts. He's not not talking about that. This is what he's talking about. He's addressing the whole direction, theme, and flow of your thoughts. What What patterns do you see in your thoughts? What dominates your thoughts? Is it perfectionism? Is it workaholism? Is it preoccupation with self what is it what is it what is your god so what is the flow of your thoughts above all else guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life proverbs four twenty three. romans twelve 2, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds what he's saying he's not he's not talking about thinking positive thoughts he's talking about the whole flow of your thoughts what dominates your thoughts stirs your deepest emotion how does that order your your life Christianity isn't something that we take up. It takes us up. The the difference is inside, outside change. Outside change is moral restrained will. It's change because someone's holding a gun to your head, fear and pride. God's going to get you. What will people think? You don't want to be like all those other losers out there. See, that's fear and pride motivation. Morality is never to come out of that. Jonathan Edwards called that common virtue, but this true virtue is a heart that's transformed, that's smitten by the beauty of Christ. St. Augustine put it this way, the key to life change is not the acts of the will, but the loves of the heart. Three fill in the blanks here. This is where we are. And then we'll end with a story, and then we gonna give you opportunity. I think we have time. Yeah. We'll take time. Give you opportunity for prayer this morning. So a new identity, it gives you a brand new identity. This is, this is what happens. So I have a new identity. My identity is no longer attached to my job or my kids and how they turn out or my marriage and how well that's going. My identity's in Christ. And therefore, I'm operating out of fullness so that when my marriage isn't going the way I think it should go, I'm going to be able to respond out of fullness, not out of being desperate. <laughs> she better start doing what I tell her to do or what I want her to do or so that I can feel better about myself. It's like, that's messed up. It's because you've misplaced your identity. So a new identity, the glory of God, not the glory of me, the glory of something else. New motives, love for God. Why would you do that? This is answering life's basic questions. Why am I here? Glory of God. Why should I live for His glory? Love of God. Why should I do that? Because He loves you. His amazing love for you, 1 John 4, 19 and then what's my truth source? What's my, what's my ability to stay in touch with reality? And how can I make a distinction between, you know, the things that I should pursue and the things I shouldn't pursue? This new truth source, the Word of God. So how do, how do I show my, my love to God? I live according to His Word. Yeah, but what if I don't live according to His Word? He doesn't condemn you. But the reason why you want to live according to His Word is because, because of your love for Him and you're wanting to make it about Him and not about you. And so, so there's no condemnation, but you do it because your heart is smitten because you you love him and you want to know him. Here's my story we'll end with. And then this is what we're going to do. We're going to have three stations here this morning for prayer. And um, we will anoint you with oil and pray for you. If you're struggling, you've got an idol, you've got, I'm sure you do. We all have idols. We all struggle with things. So whatever your struggle is, physically, emotionally, spiritually, we would love the opportunity to pray with you. And I'm going to read the story, I'm going to pray, you're going to sit there quietly, and then if you need prayer, those of you that are going to need prayer, you're going to come forward, but those that don't, i to sit there and reflect for a few moments, and then you can exit very quietly. That's where we're headed. So listen to the story to kind of wrap this up. Henry and Kevin had both lost their jobs because of an unfair action by their bosses. Henry forgave his boss and moved on and was doing very well, while Kevin could not move past it. He stayed bitter and cynical, and it affected his future career path. Some people tried to help him by working on his emotions. The more sympathy people showed Kevin, the more he felt justified in his anger, and the more his self-pity grew. Other people tried to work directly on his will. Just get past it. Come on, move on. Buck up. That did not work either. The gospel works in a different way. It does not work directly on the emotions or the will. The gospel asks, what is operating in the place of Jesus Christ as your real functional salvation and savior? What are you looking to in order to justify yourself? Whatever it is... Is a counterfeit God, and to make a change in your life, you must identify it and reject it as such. Kevin was looking to his career to prove himself, and when something went wrong, he felt condemned. He was paralyzed because the very foundation of his identity were falling apart. He made no progress. By the way, this is why we don't make progress sometimes and we don't change. He made no progress until he saw that he had made his career his self-salvation. It was not just that he had to forgive his boss. His real problem was that something besides Jesus Christ was functioning as his Savior. There is always something underneath your inordinate and out-of-control problems, desires, patterns, attitudes, and emotions. Until you find out what it is, you cannot have life and peace. Kevin came to see that though he technically believed he was loved with God's costly grace, it wasn't an absorbing truth that had captured his heart and imagination What his boss said to him was more real and affecting to his heart than what the king of the universe had said. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. So God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for as we walk through this path of transformation, we want to indeed put off the old self, put on the new self, and be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And we want to do that because we want to live for your glory And for love for you because of your amazing sacrificial love for us. And we want to do that according to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.